Welcome to the Careers Cast, where we feature everyday working professionals and entrepreneurs to discuss how their career paths intersect with their innate purpose and passions in the world. Try on a profession for size. It may just be the fit you were looking for. And now, here's your host, Peyton Thompson. All right, so thank you uh, for joining today on the Careers Cast by Evolve, where we just jump into a VIP sneak peek of what it looks like in everyday professionals' lives. And today we are going to dive into the career of occupational therapy, otherwise known as OT. And we are joined here today by one of my very good friends, Taylor Gosselin, the, give the little Cajun pronunciation <laughs> in there. Um, Tay, we're here. Welcome to the show. Hello. <laughs> Hi, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. It's awesome to have you here. And um, so quickly, I guess, just for the audience to get to know you a little bit better, I want to open it up just to give them a quick soundbite on who you are and um, why you chose the profession of being an occupational therapist. Perfect. So um, like you said, I'm Taylor and I graduated from LSU for my undergrad and then LSU Health Sciences Center in New Orleans for my master's degree in occupational therapy. I grew up the oldest of four. Um, I helped my mom basically raise my younger siblings. Um, being naturally empathetic is a strength I've always wanted to capitalize on. And I knew I wanted to go into some sort of career that let me be a nurturer and a giver and a lover, but also allowed me to show my creative side and not limit me by necessarily like sitting behind a desk all day and like crunching numbers. That was never really where like my brain really wanted to go. So interacting with people on a daily basis has just always been something I wanted to do. And this world of OT allows me to kind of um, connect all of those things in a very dynamic way. Well, one, I think it's so funny that, you know, you and I are very different on that perspective of crunching numbers. I laugh because, you know, we, we've been best friends for, I don't even know how long throughout college and the years after we can't totally say what the other one does. So I think this episode's super unique and special that I get to actually interview you on what you do, interacting with people, with your hands all day, with like science and stuff like that. And I'm over here, data science on that that's end so of the spectrum true. and uh, crunching numbers and stuff. So I think that's funny, but opposites um, attract pay. Yes. <laughs> Let's just kind of break down for those who don't know what occupational therapy is. What What is it from your point of view working in the field? So occupational therapy, the best way to describe it is um, we look at an individual's habits, roles, and routines that they do in their daily lives. So every person, every patient we work with is a very individualized treatment plan with them because we look at the person as a whole. So occupation, which is you know, anything that a human does throughout their daily routine. And that can be anything related to something that you have to do, like getting dressed in the morning, something you need to do, like being able to use a calculator at your job or something you want to do, like cooking for fun. So we really tap into anything that a human does is considered an occupation. And what's important to that person as an individual we really like to see like, okay, what were they doing before? What happened after with this injury? What can't they do now that they 
love and need to be able to do to survive and to stay okay and happy and how do we get them there so we spend a lot of time um like adapting or modifying patients to the environment or vice versa the environment to the patient so that way they can get back to doing what they love so they find a good quality of life so that they that way they're happy and healthy potentially with this new lifestyle that they're living after their accident or whatever happened to them. Does that make sense? It totally does. And I love it. The beautiful way that you describe that. And I actually, I just think God is so funny today. I was actually listening to this meditation, um, on the calm app, uh, for the daily J of those who, uh, follow Jay Shetty, but he talked about this Japanese art of, I wrote it down, Kintsugi. And what it means is for pottery that has chips and cracks and breaks in it, or is just completely apart, putting it back together by molding it with gold. And it stems from this really beautiful practice. It's wabi-sabi. And what it means is to celebrate those kind of, you know, scarred pieces of yourself and to be able to put yourself to back together in a more beautiful way than maybe you even were before. And I think that uh, that's yes. just kind of a cool, like full circle thing of this conversation with you today on your profession in some kind of analogy that I think um, in that metaphor signifies what you do. No, I absolutely love that. Actually... Kind of going off of that, something that um, like OT practitioners ask, what matters to you, not what's the matter with you? So that's kind of like how we encompass that. And I love your quote. I love that so much because we are constantly putting people back together in one way, shape or form. But sometimes it's going to look a little bit different than where they started. But that doesn't mean that their lives have to be significantly different or diminished. Yeah. And sometimes it could even be put together better than it was before with to this, to this practice gold. So I think that's really cool. I love it. And also Thank I was you for looking sharing that. I love that. Yeah. Well, I thought it was just the most wild thing to like come up literally right before your interview. And I was like, okay, this is totally God work in here. That's just wild. But also I wanted to bring up a point that I thought was really interesting about the background of OT. Cause I was trying to do a little bit of homework uh, before this conversation. And I had read that the practice of OT actually came within the 18th century from mental hospitals in insane asylums where they found or they did studies that mental patients actually had a lot of significant improvement when they were actually doing occupational activities. And then that's what kind of stemmed this whole practice of being able to, you know, develop what is now occupational therapy, which I thought was like really unique. It is super cool. Actually, Pay, hey, let me um, kind of zone in on that super quick. What we learned in school as like the origin of the true of true occupational therapy. And I'm sure that they definitely had groups and people like this, you know, further back, but World War One. There were um, aides known as reconstruction aides, and there were women who helped soldiers who had PTSD or who had anything that happened to them or, you know, trauma, of course, to, to all degree in World War One back then. Um, and they would help do like activities or uh, lots of arts and crafts or which I think at the time was like definitely way more basic, but kind of helped them like get a very good like mental health and just comfort and you know we did some activities in that regard and 
like kind of like what you said, like their outcomes, they were a lot better for it than not. And that's kind of how like we were birthed, which was honestly not that long ago in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, no, that's wild. And thank you for sharing that too. I think that's really neat, you know, to just understand the origins of like what you're actually doing today and like what your passion and purpose has like evolved from. So I think that's really unique. I want to highlight another thing that you said that I think is super important for people to understand about this field is that it is a multifaceted practice that's kind of this intersection between not only like physical, but social and sensory and mental and emotional and cognitive therapy, and which none of those on their own are small practices in themselves, but you're in the business of warping them together within your treatment plans. So I guess... Can you speak a little bit about wearing many hats and trades within that space? Yes. So occupational therapy is the only therapy like branch that focuses on the entire person, the holistic view. So we do focus a lot on the physical aspects, right? So um, if you get in a severe car accident and you hit your head really badly, like you know, there's going to be parts of your body that aren't working right. But then we also focus on the mental, the cognitive aspect. So what is your brain capable of doing? You know, how can we adjust the injuries, what the injuries that we received in this accident, how can we get them back to high functioning? And then the mental health aspect, is this person okay? Mentally, like, are you adjusting okay to what's happening to you? Do you understand why we're here? We make sure that all the aspects and the components of a human, like we are working with a human being every single day. There's a human being sitting in front of us. This could be your mother, your brother, you know, your sister. So we always want to take into account that this person has emotions and feelings and that they might not be handling this very well. So like we might need to take a step back and say, okay, how do we, you know, what do we need to talk about? How do we need to address it to, to make to be able to accomplish the goals in the other realms. So we're constantly taking off and putting on hats, but it's very, very cool because every single person is different and we get to really explore more than just the physical aspect. Absolutely. And I love what you said about taking their environment and their people around them into their account too. And so I think I personally, I think I know the answer to this, but just for the listeners, can you elaborate on just who occupy occupational therapists serve and where they serve? And I think it's, I'll let you answer. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So that is a very broad question. We serve anybody and everybody. I like to call it um, womb to tomb. So we can basically serve um, babies, honestly, babies in the NICU. I think that's the earliest that we go. And then, so premature babies, babies that aren't even supposed to be out, you know, before their birthday. And then um, we can go all the way to adults, older adults over in the hundreds. So that's the age range. So it's everyone. And then kind of where we can work, we, I'll keep it general for now, but we can work in hospitals. We can work in outpatient clinics where people go to an important to an appointment. We can work in home health settings. So we can go into people's houses and provide therapy there. We can work in school systems, community centers, you know, like mental health, uh, psychiatric facilities. So yeah, just about everywhere. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, it sounds like opportunities in this field. And I guess it sounds like from those different areas that maybe are of interest 
to you, you can maybe specialize in certain segments of occupational therapy or with certain groups of people. Is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, you know, you can definitely take your time, like spend your time zoning into like an area of interest. So like if you wanted to really work with kids and focus on pediatrics only, you could spend a lot of time like getting, um, you know, continuing education credits or special certifications that serve that population specifically. Um, so yes, if you could get like way more specialized Okay. And then on the flip side, you can kind of be this master of all kinds of groups and, and practices within this field. Yes, which is definitely a lot harder. And that's kind of where I'm at right now. So I'm still kind of like filtering through like, what are what are the my true passions? You know, what are things I don't really enjoy? So it takes time to find your right zone. But once you do and you find your passion, then you just go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> Absolutely. And I guess just as another point to what you just said, it's, I mean, it's everywhere. This is an in-demand field wherever you go. So any, anywhere that you are, I guess, for the listeners, if this is something of your interest, it's literally a field within every location. So really quick, we kind of talked about from a broad spectrum of, you know, what, what is possible within the field and what kind of environments you can work in. But I'd love to just spend a minute on what day-to-day -day looks like for you. So I'm going to try to keep this concise because it can get kind of hairy. My day-to-day -day, um, looks like, so I work as what is known as a PRN. So I work on an as-needed slash hourly rate basis. I work, I currently work two different jobs. So you can either work kind of like that, like hourly make your own schedule experience, or you can have a full-time job. So I want to make that kind of clear is that my job, a lot of therapists have like do what I do. Um, but there are also a lot of therapists that have a full-time, very set experience. So I'll kind of delve into my personal experience with PRN. I work a couple days a week at a hospital. I work in a, in a neurological unit. At this hospital, I work in three different segments of where OTs are able to work in a hospital. I work in acute, I work in inpatient rehab, and I work in outpatient. So that's like highly flexible and I'm constantly having to figure out where am I going? What am I doing? You know, what's, what's my schedule looking like for today? Um, and how I treat these patients in all three of these settings are very different. So you have to be much more willing to be flexible with a job like that. Then the other two days a week, I do um, home health with a program in Louisiana called Early Steps. And it's for babies from zero to three years old. And I work a lot with like milestones and helping them kind of achieve their their preschool goals, if that makes sense, you know, their behavior, their social skills, their play skills, and uh, just help them to be like a very highly functioning child. So my day to day is a very wide range of people and very, two very different settings, but I love them both a lot. I'm very passionate about both of them. Whereas other people who do full-time like in the hospital would see the same patients every day until they were to discharge. That actually answered two more of my questions that I had. So 
you kind of have some flexibility with your schedule to kind of make your own hours. So if you want to work, you know, for a solid chunk of time, you can, but if you, you know, need a couple of days off for a vacation or to travel or to, you know, do an event or something, you have the opportunity for that. Or if you want to go down the more structured route where it's like, I guess your hours are more set of like nine to five, then there's that possibility within the field too. Oh, absolutely. I think a lot of people don't even realize what PRN like as needed really is because I didn't even know about it very well until I honestly graduated. And I was like, what in the heck? Like, how did I just learn about this? This is awesome. Cause like you said, the flexibility is fantastic. Um, you know, I can, as a PRN working for a hospital, I can take off any time I need you know, instead of having to request time off or only having a certain amount of days off. So there are pros. The flexibility is a pro. Um, I can kind of make my own daily schedule so I can come in late if I need to. I can leave early if I need to, as long as my job is done, obviously. There are also cons with it because as a PRN, I don't get benefits covered. I don't have 401k. I think you get through a full-time job. Is it a 401k? Yes. Yeah. Okay, just making sure. I don't have it, so I don't know. Yeah, you're <laughs> um, so, no, but um, I think that's important to consider too. You know, I think going into different professions, it's important to consider that. So, thank you for being willing to touch on that subject as well, because it's something that you don't have yet in the back of your mind when you're just coming out of school. Or, like you said, the whole reason that we're doing the podcast is because what you're doing right now as a PRN. You didn't know that that was a possibility until you got out of school. So hopefully, I guess for those listening here, maybe they'll see that option in the future and be able to consider it and all of the ins and outs of it beforehand. But yeah, absolutely. Even if you, you know, further on down the road, I know our audience is, you know, the uh, population that's getting into the workforce. But um, even as a mother, one day, if you were to be wanting children one day, or like taking up a hobby on the side, like wanting to share uh, share your skill set, then you can do PRN and only work like a you know 20, 30 hours a week versus a full 40 hour week if that's something that you'd be interested in. So you have an option of still being able to have a job that you love without the stress of you know the full time, like figuring out the full time stuff. It, it can be a little hairy. But there are also some cons to it, too. My work can call me off any day of the week if they're booked up and all the therapists showed up for work because they only call me in if there's a therapist that says, hey, like, I'm sick. I can't come in today. So um, overall, I'm pretty much working 40 hour weeks, but there are definitely some weeks where like closer to Christmas for some crazy reason, um, like I get called off a lot during December. So that's a little bit stressful. It can be stressful. You're available to work and they're like, hey, we don't need you today. So that can get a little bit like, ah. Well, and I guess with that, knowing, I guess, some of those trends, you can always kind of adjust your schedule to maybe pick up some shifts in in a different way, I guess, on the front end or the back end. And then you get Christmas off, which is, you know, not the worst thing in the world. (laughs) It's very true. It's very true. With most hospitals, you have a lot of opportunities to pick up weekend shifts. And now weekend shifts, I know most people are like, oh, heck no, I'm not working on a weekend. It's honestly not that bad when you get to this age. Like (laughs) everyone's working all the time and you can always pick and choose the weekends you want to work. But if you do get called off during the weeks, you have the opportunity to make up that time on a Saturday or Sunday. Or you can even just stack your time. Like you can work a full week and a Saturday and a Sunday and then have like extra money. So 
the flexibility is actually pretty wild and I don't think a lot of people know about that. So I'm 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 so satisfied with the PRN job right now. <laughs> I'm so glad a lot of people they just kind of think like, "Oh, I got to get out. I got to get a job after school." But there's infinite possibilities of things out there. You just got to take the time to kind of do some homework and look into them. Okay, are there any skills that you would say are probably some of the most valuable to set somebody up for success in this field? Flexibility is important. You need to be open-minded and you need to be willing to learn. If you are done learning, like if you're no longer willing to learn after a couple years in this profession, you should not be an OT because we are, like we said earlier, relatively recently you know, forthcoming as a profession. And there's still so much research going on. We are constantly researching and figuring out, is this the best way to treat this diagnosis? Is this the best way to do this? What if there's another way? So we are constantly researching in our own field and finding out new ways to do things better all the time. Like, it's not like two plus two equals four. Like we know that, and it's not going to get any easier when it comes to like working with adults or when it comes to working with people with these kinds of diseases or um, traumatic events, there's so many things that's still out there that we don't know about. So um, you definitely want to be able to still be willing to learn. You need to be empathetic and compassionate because you're working with human beings whose lives have turned upside down from some of the stuff that they experience, like traumatic car accidents, um, you know, spinal cord injuries and like gunshot wounds, things, all these things that people don't expect to happen, but crazy life happens, terrible things happen, wrong place, wrong time, you know, and you just have these life changing experiences. And now my patients think, oh, like, I'm never going to be the same. I'm never going to do the things I love again. I'd rather just not have survived. And I'm constantly having to educate them and say, you can do the things you love again. You will do the things you love again. It's just not going to look the same. It's just going to be a little bit different. So we're constantly having to motivate those people. So you do have to be empathetic. You have to be so understanding that some of these people, some of the patients you work with just are going to be difficult, but they're going through something that you would never wish upon your worst enemy. I guess, are there any communities or conferences or even like trainings and certifications that somebody should be aware of within, within your profession? Yes. So, um, the most important thing, whenever you start off your first full year graduated, you don't have to get them, but every single year moving forward, you have to get 12 hours of continuing education credits a year annually, but that can be in anything you want to learn more about. So it's like kind of a pro and a con because it's like you get to learn more and be educated more and get certified to do more things. So like that all can go towards these credit hours. Some of them can be very expensive. You know, like there's a couple I'm really looking into for my pediatrics, um, my kids that I want to learn more about, but they're like a couple hundred bucks. So I have to like prioritize what matters most to me this year. Like what are something specific I really want to learn about? And then I'll just save up, you know, to, to take the course. So 12 hours of CEUs a year. And then every year there's an AOTA, which is American 
OT Association, an AOTA conference, and every year it's in a different state, and it's really, really cool. And the first year I was in OT school, they actually had it in New Orleans, and I was like, this is awesome. This has never happened again for like 50 years. So of course, I like went to it knowing not a single thing about OT at the time, and I was just like hopping into different classes and just learning stuff, and I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever done. But now, like now that I know way more than I did as a first-year grad student, I would love to go back. So it definitely, you know, every conference it costs, but it's really cool because you have so many therapists from all over the country and even the world who will come and talk about OT and like, what's the newest development? What's the newest thing what we've discovered? What can help this population of people a little bit better? So pretty cool. That's awesome. I love kind of keeping your skills sharp every year. Like you said, it's it's something that you have to do and it, it costs a little bit, but it also, you know, allows you to grow so much and become, you know, this expert within your field that actually stays on top of that for for your your occupation. <laughs> for yeah, exactly. For a word. Exactly. I think a lot of medical professionals, like my parents who are veterinarians, I know they have to get CEUs every year. So I think it's medical field oriented. I can't speak for everyone, obviously, but I do know for sure, like therapists do have to. And I also want to um, add in that not all CEUs are crazy expensive. There are some extremely affordable, very easy, like sign up on a website, you can have access to a bunch of CEUs also. Um, so it's not like break the bank, like going into this profession at all. But it's really great because there's people out there who are wanting to teach this stuff and like pay it forward to the to the new professionals. So it's pretty cool. And then we do have one more organization that I meant, forgot to mention, Louisiana, L-O-T-A, Louisiana OT Association. We have our own like in-state organization where we advocate and all kinds of stuff. So I think every state has their own association, which is pretty cool. So that actually brings up another topic. Just as a quick note on school, um, I didn't cover this earlier, but what are the requirements for you to actually start practicing and being an OT? Absolutely. I will say that every grad school has different requirements. Most only require a certain amount of prerequisite courses. So like you only need to have taken you know, 15 credits of these specific classes to apply to this program. It doesn't even matter what your undergrad degree is. Now, does it help if you have a bachelor's of science and like know anatomy and like are familiar with the terminology? Yes, that would be very helpful. So like bachelor of science is typically what is most um, kind of sought after, I guess, because you get the anatomy, you get the kinesiology, the human movement aspect, you get the foundational basics of what does the human body do when it's working typically? Um, you can also have a bachelor's of psychology. So like a lot more like how the brain works. Um, those are usually some pretty good degrees to have, but most grad schools only require these certain amount of prerequisites for a GPA. Um, so you can have a bachelor's of accounting and still apply as long as you take those courses. So that's like getting into the program. And then we also have to take the GRE which is a standardized test. We have to get a certain score. Every school will tell you what their minimum requirement is exactly, and it is online. So prerequisites, the GRE, and um, they just kind of want to look at your involvement. Are you a people person? Like, have you spent time volunteering? Have you spent time trying to get to learn about this career? Are you just applying like 
hoping that you get in. So they want to say that you're a well-rounded individual, but then going into grad school, LSU is a two year, two and a half year program. It is a master's degree level. There are other programs that I'm familiar with that is a three year program and it's a doctorate. So you would be technically considered a doctor of occupational therapy versus a master of occupational therapy. Now, does that all come out in the wash? And is a doctor making more than a master's degree? I haven't really heard of anything super wild where a doctor's making significantly more money than a than a OT with a master's degree. Um, but that will probably help you in like a job competition with you know other therapists who are applying for the same job. But most therapists right now have master's degrees. Master's degrees two and a half years, and then we do some field works within those within that um, time frame. So LSU we do five field works three of which are one week long, two of which are three months long. So you have the opportunity, you have five opportunities to see five different settings and five different populations to kind of get your toes wet and kind of see like, is this really something I'm interested in? Like, do I really think that I could work in a hospital setting? Is a hospital setting gonna gross me out? Like, can I handle blood? You know, so like there's so many factors, but you get five opportunities to really see where are my strengths going to come out? What am I going to be most passionate about? So that's pretty cool too. You actually get the chance to see, is this right for me? I think that's something that's almost, it, it, I think it could be incorporated more within school. That's awesome that you get the opportunity. And I think the medical field just does a really good job about putting you in the setting so that you can actually visualize, is this where I want to be serving my time and my energy in my life? Okay. So Thank you for all of just the awesome detail, Tay. I'm literally loving clicking into all of this. I feel like I could talk to you for so long on everything that you're sharing here. But I want to shift gears. Um, I want to talk about how this is purpose-driven for you and how that you felt this profession is really putting out an impact to the world and making a difference for people. So I'll just kind of open it up for your thoughts there. Oh, I could go down rabbit holes. He might have to stop me when we hit the time for the time mark. Um, Not a chance. I I absolutely love this job. I am very high energy. I'm very much a giver. I have a lot of positive energy that I bring to my job. These are all strengths that I've learned about myself as I started working. That I just have a very great time at work. <laughs> I just do. Um, this job brings me so much humility and so much grace. It makes me humbled every single day. It makes me really, really learn to not take anything for granted, even like the smallest of movements. You would not believe when people lose function in their hands. They're like, I cannot believe that I, you know, I cannot like pick up this cup the way I used to. Like, this is so crazy. Like, this is such a simple task. And my job is to teach that person how to do that again. So it's very wonderful on the days where you reach those goals and you work with these people to accomplish not only what you want them to accomplish, but what they want to accomplish themselves. It's very beautiful. And it's just, again, so humbling. It's so humbling. I will never, ever, ever look at life the way I did before I became an occupational therapist. I kind of want to also mention a couple of the populations that I work with. I work a lot with traumatic brain injury patients. I work with spinal cord injury patients and I work heavily with stroke patients. So that's 
a lot more of the older population. There definitely are children, um, like at Children's Hospital here in New Orleans, who experience that as well, like traumatic injuries or strokes even. I'm not familiar with that population, but I work heavily with adults. And then with my home health babies, I work with Tea tiny little babies who you know need to be able to reach their milestones who aren't crawling um who aren't feeding themselves who aren't playing socially um with their siblings or you know who have autism or things that are just inhibiting their ability to be successful and some of those kids might have diagnoses like cerebral palsy or you know it could have been a complicated birth birthing situation and something kind of traumatic happened to their body coming out so it encompasses really a lot of things um but it's such a purposeful it's such a purposeful job and it's so rewarding to know that um i can be a part of this person's experience to make them happier and get them back to doing what they love to do. And if I leave the workplace at the end of the day, knowing that I just touched one person in the smallest way and we had a little bit of a laugh, then that's all I need. It's a very fantastic, rewarding job. And that's not to say that I don't come home sometimes completely exhausted. Like it takes a toll. It takes a toll. You do do a lot of heavy work, a lot of heavy transfers, you know, especially working in a hospital, you're picking up bodies a lot of the time. Or as a baby, you can just kind of pick them up with two hands. With an adult man who is 250 pounds, you know, that's three times my size. So it does take a toll physically. Um, and it definitely can be exhausting, like being a giver, like eight hours a day, five days a week, as far as your energy goes. But, um, the beauty again of PRN, the flexibility is I can take that those mental health days. Like if I need to take a step back and say, okay, my cup isn't full enough to be able to donate today. Like I'm going to make sure that I'm okay because I want to be able to go back and give a hundred percent to my patients. I don't like going in at a 30% cup and like having to force myself to trudge through the day because that's not going to benefit them. And it's sure as heck not benefiting me. So do I take days off all the time? Absolutely not. But the beauty of the flexibility is that you can if you need to. And I really, all in all, fantastic job. Love what I do. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's so funny. You've been one of my closest friends for a while now and which like almost 10 years, which is so weird to even think about. But hearing you talk about your profession today, I feel like I tapped into like a whole nother level of how this could not be a better profession to fit your heart and who you are and what you put out into the world and the impact that you make. And thank you for being willing to just share all of this value and all of the insight of, you know, what's behind the curtain of occupational therapy. So I guess with that, I feel like I could literally keep talking to you all day on all the things, but just to kind of start wrapping it up, I'm just going to ask just a couple last questions and then we'll lay it down. But if somebody wants to learn within this space, is there any um, resources that you might recommend for them to oh, like to just educate themselves more? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So actually I found a really good one today. So the AOTA website has a tab that says, what is occupational therapy? It's AOTA.org. It's all about occupational therapy. It gives us like a very basic kind of description, a little like snapshot of what we do. 
There are definitely lots of things that going into school I didn't know that OT did, which I think is very important to make sure that if you are trying to explore this profession, like knowing, like, for example, like being in a hospital, you're going to focus heavily on self-cares. It's like getting dressed, going to the bathroom, showering. How are you doing all those things safely? Like taking care of yourself. And then past the hospital is typically where you can get more creative in your job, like helping your patients, you know, do a hobby or things like that. So make sure you research OTs in all those settings and also YouTube. Oh my gosh, YouTube has tons and tons and tons of videos. Like you can type, just type in like occupational therapy, you know, a uh, home health setting, or occupational therapy, uh, inpatient rehab setting. And there are tons of people who take the time to actually share that kind of stuff. So that's pretty cool too. And then also there are some Instagram accounts. There's none specifically that I follow that I'm like, this is an incredible account that like just will tell you point blank. Cause I think it can get kind of like blurry when you're looking at stuff that's irrelevant to this stage of the game you know like if you're looking to explore more about ot the instagram accounts are a lot more of like treatment ideas which are still fascinating so if you even want to like check those out and see like what does an ot do like with a stroke patient there's tons of accounts that show that kind of stuff but it's not very like black and white if that makes sense that does make sense and something else i have to ask about because we are avid Goodreads fans and lover of books and everything. Are there any books or, or even I guess podcasts or audiobooks that you'd suggest also around the space? Ooh, there's definitely, there's definitely more books I have read more recently on pediatrics. Um, so I've been doing a lot more education in that realm, specifically with like autism. So I do have suggestions and recommendations, but it's not very much, it's not like, this is the world of OT. Here are all the options, you know, like it is way more individualized and it just kind of depends on like where you want to go. And I, you know, recommending a book on autism, like learning how to treat a child with autism, you have to make sure you are comfortable with that population. I think that's a good point too, is that there is material out there, but it does sound like depending on what your interests are, it really kind of narrows down into what that narrative would look like for that specific interest. And I would like to add on to that. I'm so glad you mentioned that or worded it that way. I would highly recommend shadowing, shadowing OTs if you're interested remotely in this profession at all. The one woman I shadowed, she worked in a school system. And I was like, I don't even know a therapist worked in a school system. And that completely opened the door. That was like the inch in the doorway. And I just like took it and ran with it. If you could shadow OTs in many different settings to really get a feel for it before you apply to OT school to just make sure that this is something you really are passionate about that you can do. Because I have some, I've had classmates and people around me who have come to this profession and have thought, oh, this is not what I thought it was and drop out. And that takes someone else's spot from a very, a highly, highly coveted position in a grad school program. So, and, and not just for that regard, but for you. So you don't waste your time and your energy and your money and your resources. But it's so cool to observe and see this stuff beforehand and say like, oh, I didn't know OT could work in that kind of hospital setting. Or like, oh, I didn't know OT could work in a house. Like, I really wanna see how that's done, you know? So highly recommend shadowing and spending the time to do it. It's gonna save you so much more heartache and pain or just confusion later on. 
And you know what, just to drive that hammer into that nail is go shadow your interests. I think that that is something that is so missed and you need to go and network with people and more than likely you're going to find people who want to be like, yeah, come on, come to work with me. Like, let's, you know, let me show you what I do because if they're in that profession, yes, hopefully they're passionate about it. And they're like, yeah, I would love to be a part of helping the next generation within, you know, your education or your experience of maybe this is what you want to do with your life and come get exposure to it. So I love that. Okay. So I think this is one of I would say, because I don't get to do this every day, but your biggest perks of the job, can you talk about your attire and actually what you're wearing right now? <laughs> yes, scrubs, 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 scrubs. They're wonderful. I have like five or six pairs. I never have to make a mental decision in the morning of what I wear. I just know I'm putting on a pair of scrubs. Honestly, it makes life so much better because all day, all day long, I am making decisions for other people. Like I'm choosing how to help this person. I'm choosing how to problem solve. I'm making the decision to blank, do all these things, like run the treatment sessions. And after a while, like that builds up. So it's really nice to have no decision of just wearing scrubs and they're so comfortable and they're easy to clean and all kinds of stuff gets on them. So it's easier that way. Just scrubs. Yeah. <laughs> well, I would say that's a, a huge perk. Um, and I'm jealous. Well, just to wrap it up, is there anything else just more inspiring as a last note that you'd want to leave with the audience as maybe something that you've learned in your transition to adulthood that you would want to share? Yes, I have a couple things. I definitely feel like there are some days where I do feel like I'm at work. I truly do. But most days I'm really thankful that I have the career that I do. So overall, I love, 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 love what I do. And therefore I don't feel like I'm wasting my energy. And I think that's so important. Another thing that I wanna mention is there are many options in careers. There's tons, like even in therapy, there's occupational therapy, there's physical therapy and there's speech therapy. If you're watching this and did not know that, check those out too. So it, but it is okay to change your mind as you go. You don't have to get all the way to the end and then think like, Oh, this might not be for me, but I'm going to keep going. Cause I'm committed. No, don't do that. You will do yourself a disservice. You will do your patients a disservice. Even if you switch out of the medical field entirely, you don't want to do that. So it's always okay to change your mind and it's never too late to change your mind. I have had classmates in my grad school program. One was a lawyer. He had been practicing law for 10 years. And then he was like, wait, this is not fulfilling. This is not motivating for me personally. I want to do something different. And then he went back to OT school. So it's never too late to change your mind and don't be afraid to make yourself happy doing it. And then the last thing that is something that I just have always lived by is um, if you're motivated to make 100% the bare minimum, you'll be a successful professional. Don't ever just achieve the bare minimum. Go above and beyond that. 100% of your energy and your effort going towards a career that you love or going, going towards the work to become what you want to be, 100% has to be your bare minimum. You always want to achieve for higher than that. Because if you just scrape by and just kick the rocks as you go and just hope that you're going to get somewhere, then you're not going to be the best for you or anyone around.
around you or your coworkers or the team that depends on you. So 100% has to be the bare minimum. And there are, you know, we, we talked about this in the episode about sometimes there's need for rest days and to take a step back. And then sometimes it's like putting your foot on the gas. Let's go. Let's get it. But if you collectively bring your full self to your work and, and put your whole heart in it, I think in that way, definitely, I can see where you're saying, like, reach above that, make that impact, make that difference. I think that's awesome. Well, Taylor, shoot, I literally, girl, I could just keep talking to you, but we have to stop at some point because we've already gone over too much. Thank you just so much for just all the great things that you shared and all of the in-depth detail and insight. It's just been like so invaluable to talk to you and I've appreciated it seeing your profession as a friend. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. This was fantastic. And I'm so happy to spread the love, spread the love of OT. Thank you for listening to The Careers Cast by Evolve. If you find the content in our show valuable, we'd love it if you would take a minute today to rate, review, subscribe, and share with your friends so that we can continue featuring our awesome guests and producing content that will enable you to own your life story. To learn more about the show, find more resources, or get involved with Evolve's growing community, visit www.evolve.me. That's A-V-O-L-V dot M-E. We appreciate you tuning in today, and we'll see you next time on The Careers Cast.